thanks for tuning in to the Durban Memorial Baptist Church podcast. We're a group of sinners saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and here you will hear the Word of God. It is once again wonderful to be here. A privilege as always to bring the Word of God to the congregation that we have A few months ago, we started putting our sermons out on podcasts, and through that process, a new tagline kind of came to my mind, and we've been uh, sharing that around. You may have seen it online or in some of the slides here even every now and then. The tagline is, here you will hear the Word of God. Here you will hear the Word of God. That's the ultimate point of any of our teachings, any of our services, any of our gatherings. We want people to hear the word of God. Not just our thoughts, not just our opinions, not just our view of things. We will absolutely share personal stories. We will share testimonies. But the main thing we want to be focused on and draw everything from, all those stories, all those testimonies from, is drawn from the all-sufficient, inerrant word of God as recorded in Scripture. With that intention, we spent the last three weeks walking word by word through chapter 7 of the book of Matthew. Today, we're going to be primarily looking at chapter 7, starting in verse 15, if you want to turn to there and hold your place. We'll get to there in a moment. Chapter 7 is the third and final chapter of the greatest sermon ever given, the Sermon on the Mount given by Jesus to his disciples and to the crowd that forms around them as he is teaching. Thus far, we have seen Jesus juxtapose the self-righteousness of men, the worthless self-righteousness there with the righteous demands of the holy God. We see that all things fall short of God's standard. Thus, we are exposed of our own need for an atonement, that is, in our, our inability to be righteous on our own, shows us why we needed Jesus to die for our sins. So the primary response to the Sermon on the Mount as we've walked through it in this series, the primary response is to mourn over our own sinfulness. And Christ says, those who mourn shall be comforted. At the same time, we are told that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness shall be satisfied. When we truly desire to honor God, With righteous living, we understand that true righteousness is given to us from Jesus. And through faith in him and the power of the Holy Spirit, we are empowered to actually live righteously. Now, I bring this up for a few reasons. First of all, is that as we walk through our scripture today, we will be seeing how faith is a prerequisite to doing any real good or righteous action. Faith comes first. We'll come back to that idea later. But I also want to remember that when we really have faith in Jesus, when we really say Jesus is the Lord of my life, Jesus is the King of Kings, I understand Jesus died on the cross, not just died on the cross, but that he died on the cross for me. When we really understand that, when we really have faith in him, we are actually empowered and supposed to live righteously. I'm not claiming that any of us are going to be perfect when we have faith in Jesus. If we say we have no sin, we are a liar to ourselves, to others, and to God. However, while the, the, the teachings within the Sermon on the Mount are lofty 
and we won't always ever get it right 100% of the time, it is important to remember that Jesus is giving us practical instructions that we are to apply in our daily lives. I am saying that mourning over sin and subsequent faith and comfort in Jesus not only saves you eternally, it transforms you into a new creature currently. If you know Christ as your Savior, your priorities ought to look different than the world's. I always love Colossians 3 ever since our group has gone through it. Colossians 3, 1 and 2 says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. If you've truly had your eyes open to salvation by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ, then your attention is drawn upward. That means you're now giving a higher attention to the things of God. Not only that, but you're actually empowered to overcome the sinful temptations that you used to fall into. I was talking to a brother this week and he brought up this verse. I just wanted to share it. First Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. This verse is often misused or misquoted to say that God will not give you more than you can bear. That's not what it says. God may very well give you things that lead to your death. There's going to be a time for all of us in which the physical strains of our life are quite literally more than we can bear. And we will no longer take another breath. I don't say that to be morbid this morning but rather just to explain the reality we all face in this mortal body that we have. What 1 Corinthians 10, 13 tells us is that in any and all circumstances, God will not let us be tempted beyond our ability. We will not be tempted beyond our ability. That means that God has enabled those who truly love him to remain focused on him in any and every situation, and then to run from sin. And and I don't have it on the screen, but verse 14, uh, right following from there, says, therefore flee from idolatry. So we are taught in scripture that when we are reconciled unto Christ through faith, uh, reconciled unto God through faith in Christ, we are eternally saved and changed in the here and now. We are enabled to fix our eyes on what is above and we, can, and we know that we can flee temptation because God will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we could stand. Even in very difficult circumstances, we can go through them without giving in to sinful temptation. I wanted to make that point first this morning because when we hear Jesus' teachings here in the Sermon on the Mount, it most definitely convicts us and points us to our need of a Savior. But it is also a direction that we are called to apply right here, right now. We are called to seek the things that glorify God, seek the things that are above whilst fleeing from temptation. Jesus is giving his followers at this at that time and us here today. Actionable guidance on living a holy, which is a set apart life for God, for the glory of God. There's been so much good, good teaching throughout this sermon you're just joining us here recently go back and read Matthew chapters 5 and 6 and 7 up to this point 
It's a gold mine of divine instruction for all those who are seriously wanting to follow Jesus. He gives directions on anger, lust, marriage, making oaths, retaliation, loving your enemies, giving to the needy, how to pray, how to fast, what to work for, anxiety, judging, and more. (laughs) Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is a holistic teaching that shows the spiritual need in glorifying God and gives us great practicality to the hearer. And towards the end of the sermon, where we're at today, Jesus gives a warning. Look at verse 15. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Beware of false prophets. This isn't just an idea. This is a command. This is a teaching from Jesus. Here's what we know. Jesus is not a false prophet. Jesus, we've talked about this. Jesus is the Christ. We might think of Christ as a last name. It's not a last name. It's a title. It means the anointed one. Jesus is the one true anointed prophet, priest, and king. What was that first one? Prophet. Earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus even says that he's come to fulfill the law and the prophets. That means that all things that are in the prophets, uh, that the prophets spoke of in the Old Testament and Amos and all that, all of that is uh, uh, culminating in Jesus. So the pinnacle of the prophets, the absolute source of divine revelation, tells those who follow him to beware of false prophets. It's at this point that we have to figure out exactly what a false prophet is. Who is it that Jesus is telling his followers to watch out for? Concept of a prophet wouldn't have been foreign to those hearing Jesus' sermon. Through their Jewish upbringing, they would have been taught about the prophets who were used by God to declare his message to the people. They would know that God used guys like Jonah and Isaiah and even Moses to speak to his people. In the book of Jeremiah, one of the prophets of the Lord, we find a helpful description of false prophets. Lord speaks through Jeremiah and he says this, an appalling and horrible thing has happened to the land. The prophets prophesy falsely and the priests rule at their direction. My people love to have it so, but what will you do when the end comes? And then later on in chapter 14, verse 14, he adds, and the Lord said to me, the prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I did not send them. This is the Lord speaking. I did not send them. Nor did I command them to speak. They are prophesying to you a lying vision, worthless divination, and the deceit of their own minds. What we gather from Jeremiah in regards to the prophets, to false prophets, that they are those who claim to speak on behalf of God, but they're just using that to push their own agenda. They claim to be speaking for God. They are manipulators who want to see their own increase and do not bat an eye at using the name of the Almighty God to get there. They come to see people, uh, uh, they, they, they have the appearance of godliness, but their false message is ultimately destructive. The message that the false prophets are teaching. Their, their message is not from God, and thus it points people to the wide gate of destruction, as Jesus had been talking about in the verses prior to our section this morning. 
in our scripture this morning, Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. False prophets may appear gentle as lambs, but be on guard because they're really wolves. They want to lead people to destruction for their own gain. They will tell people what they want to hear because it will lead to an increase of their own position or their own influence. But here's the thing. This is the scary thing, really. People like to listen to false prophets. Why? Because false prophets and teachers will gas you up even when that's not what's good for you. Look back to what uh, Jeremiah, this is Jeremiah 20, 23, 16. Thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. False prophets fill you with vain hopes. That is to say that they tell you what you want to hear so they can be liked or whatever reasoning they may have. They have no interest in the truth of God's word in a situation. They just want to do what will ever lead to increase in their life. Why do people soak this up? People like this because it is much easier to hear what you want to hear rather than to be confronted by divine truth. <clears throat> Check out 2 Timothy 4.13. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. This describes a win-win situation for the prophet and the people. False prophets get to teach whatever they want and people gladly accept it because it suits whatever debased passions they have. Everyone feels vindicated, going about doing whatever they want, and every unrighteous behavior and disposition is just called good, and we all live happily ever after. But the problem with that is what Jesus has already told us in verses 13 and 14 from yesterday, or last week. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. False prophets and those who accept their teaching are smiling their way through the wide open gate that leads to the path of destruction and hell. Let's just sum up where we're at right now. False prophets are anyone who claim to speak with godly authority, but are not preaching the message given by the one true God. Jesus says, beware of such people. They look nice, but they'll eat you up. They lead you to destruction. They are ravenous wolves with no regard for your well-being. Now that we know what false prophets are, why people like them and how they are destructive, we have to learn how to mark and avoid such destructive forces. Jesus gives his followers the basic principle for distinguishing false prophets in verses 16 and 18 through 18. He says, you will recognize them. This is talking about the false prophets, the wolves in sheep's clothing. You will recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every tree, healthy tree bears good fruit and the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Jesus is telling us 
that we can identify false teachers by the products in their lives. When I was a kid, we had a tree out back at our house and it would grow the most beautiful little apples. They almost looked like little miniature Granny Smiths. I remember one day playing outside with my sisters and I thought, man, I just can't stand it any longer. I got to go get me one of them apples. It's, it's little Bradley sized. So I picked off one of those little beautiful apples and I took a big old little bite. I immediately regretted that. <laughs> what we had growing in our yard was not a miniature Granny Smith apple tree. It was a crab apple tree. Now, I know some people might use those for jelly or whatnot, but you will never convince me that crab apples are not bad fruit. (laughs) When you know it, but the tree they come from only produces such a fruit. That tree, those crab apple trees only produce crab apples. As I've grown up, I'm still far from an expert, but in general, I can tell the difference between a crab apple and a regular apple. I definitely know that I don't want to eat crab apples. I'll happily go to Eckerd's Orchard and I'll pick off a fresh batch of blueberries or a peach right off the tree. I'll just take a big old bite right then and there. I've learned what good fruit looks like. I'll avoid crab apples. I'll avoid holly berries. I know that they are sour or they're poisonous. And just as we can distinguish between good and bad fruits produced by trees, we can distinguish the good and bad products in the teacher's life as we evaluate if they're teaching God's word or if they're a false prophet we're called to be wary of. One pastor suggests three areas of production to test a teacher and distinguish the type of fruit that they bear. Character, creed, and converts. We're going to walk through those. This is a a litmus test for you to test teachers by their character, their creed, and their converts. Character is the aggregate of features and traits that form the individual nature of a person. To put it a little bit more in layman's terms, it's the inner motive, standards, and ambitions somebody has. Character is who they are when nobody else is looking. As I mentioned in the opening of this message, if you know Christ, your priorities ought to look different than the rest of the world. The one who is teaching, the false prophet, does not seek the things that are above where Christ is, as it says in Colossians 3. They don't run from temptation, as it said in 1 Corinthians, when they're behind closed doors. But the godly teacher practices what they preach. No man is perfect, but their lives are marked by a genuine desire to serve the Lord. They do good works for the glory of God. Look at Ephesians 2.10. It says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You should be able to look at a teacher's life and see that they are truly seeking to glorify God in what they do. I believe this is why the local church is important. Everyone ought to be a part of a local congregation and know who their pastor is. I'm not saying that everyone with a national platform is a false prophet, but you have no way of knowing what is happening in a teacher's life when they're not behind the camera. I would suggest to everyone, even those listening just online to us, to get connected to a local church and know your pastor. 
I'm not saying that there cannot be corruption in the local church. But in our church, you can see how I treat my wife and my child. You can work alongside me in the mission fields. You can go out and eat with me and see how I treat those who are serving us. You can see if, there's, if the love and genuine concern from the pulpit can, uh, goes out into the rest of the congregation. I am not saying Brad Pierce is perfect. That is not the point of this message this morning. Far from it. What I'm getting at is that we often put people on TV on a pedestal. And while they may be uh, putting out a very attractive message and even sometimes a very orthodox or correct message, it is incredibly hard to test their character. I would encourage everyone, even if you're listening to us online, get connected with a church in which you can know the pastor. It is important to evaluate the character of those who are teaching you. You can also evaluate the creed. By creed, I mean the doctrine that the, the teacher is uh, teaching. It's what they're uh, saying is what they're saying actually congruent with the word of God. We saw in our verses from Jeremiah that I mentioned earlier that the prophets made up whatever suited them and the people best. But that is the path that leads to destruction. Is the teaching given actually in line with the word of God? I know that fact checking has become politicized lately. Uh, if you follow any of that, but I want you to Bible check everything that you hear me say. Any teacher. If it doesn't line up with a correct understanding of the word of God and the teacher won't accept correction, uh, even with mounds of biblical evidence and truth brought up to their attention, then you better run from that mess. Amen. Now, let me say, though, <laughs> I heard an amen. <laughs> you may be wrong on something. You may be wrong. So anytime we go to reprove a brother or a sister, we should do so humbly and truly seeking truth to be proclaimed. Building one another up. Iron sharpening iron. But if you are sound, you've checked the doctrine and they will not uh, uh, concede, run. Run from that mess. Judge the teaching you receive by God's word. When judging whether or not a teaching is from God, Isaiah counsels this in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 20. To the teaching and to the testimony, if they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. Isaiah is saying that if someone espouses a teaching that is not in line with the word of God, they have no dawn, which means there is no light. It's useless. So test the teaching. Let me give you some things to look out for. Does the teacher add to the gospel? Remember that the way is narrow that leads to life. And that way is faith in Jesus Christ. It's not Jesus plus anything. It's Jesus. Do they shy away from calling sin a sin? Are they more worried about puffing up someone than dealing with the reality of fallen man? Are they a mile wide and an inch deep? One pastor said the creed of the false prophet, if he has any at all, will be vague, indefinite, and ethereal. No demanding truth will be absolute or clear cut, and every principle will be easy and attractive. Do they preach the whole truth? Or do they refer only to God's love with no mention of his holiness? 
These are only a few of the things to look out for in the creed or that is the doctrine of a false prophet. The main thing that you need to take from this when testing the creed is test it by the teaching of the word of God. One last area to test the fruit of a false teacher is in their converts. Who is following this person? Second Peter 2.2 says, And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. Do those who really follow this teacher exhibit biblical godliness and a desire for holiness? Or are they proud and self-centered? They will be both self-oriented and group-oriented, but never God-oriented or scripture-oriented. False prophets produce false converts. They're wolves. Their message is dangerous and destructive. Ultimately, they are outside of Christ and thus damned and damning those who would follow them. Before we look at the last couple of verses, I want to quickly return to verse 18. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor a diseased tree bear good fruit. Diseased trees cannot bear good fruits. If the roots are bad, nothing good can come from it. If you are not rooted in Jesus Christ, if your life isn't fully planted in faith in him, then ultimately nothing good can come from it. I'm reminded of Isaiah where he says, all of our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. If we are rooted in anything other than Jesus, we are quite literally unable to bear good fruit. So for our teachers, that means that if they are not rooted in Christ, their teaching is no good. But remember what Jesus says in John 15, 5. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. We are in Christ through our faith. It is then that we are able to truly bear good fruit. And in the final few verses, Jesus shows us just how eternally important it is to abide in him and bear good fruit. Look at verses 19 and 20. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruit. Here, Jesus is telling us just how important it is to evaluate false teachers who are producing bad fruit. Their message and teachings lead them and their adherents to being cut down and thrown into the fire. So we must recognize them and evaluate their fruit. Here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches us to beware of and avoid false prophets. Their message leads to destruction. Jesus, being the anointed prophet, is not to be avoided and his teaching is to be accepted. As we close this morning, I want to point you to a similar teaching that Jesus gives from John 15. We started looking at this a moment ago, but this is kind of, instead of talking about false prophets, this is talking about ourselves about the individual. Jesus says to the individual, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. 
If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Here we see that abiding, dwelling, being rooted in Jesus is the key to everything. Those who are not rooted in Jesus are thrown away, thrown into the fire. But those who abide are focused on Christ. They ask in accordance with God's will. The Father is glorified. They produce fruit. They actually live in a righteous way that glorifies God. As we pursue holiness, that is righteous living not for our benefit, but to glorify God in service and submission to the Lord. As we pursue holiness, we are bearing fruit and thus prove to be true disciples, followers of Christ. Christ loved us. And we know that because he died for us to take our sins. He was obedient to the Father in perfect triune love. Those who love Christ are obedient to him. And in our obedience to the Lord, our joy is full. There is no better way to live both now and eternally than being reconciled to God through faith and abiding in Christ in submission to him. That is a life free from the bondage of sin and full of joy in serving the Lord. So let me ask, what are you rooted in? What are you planted in? Are you rooted in false teaching? Do you evaluate the character, creed, and converts of the influences in your life? Or are you rooted in Christ? Know this. Jesus is the only prophet, teacher, priest, king who died for sin and rose again. Jesus is the only one whose blood covers our sin. He is the narrow gate. The only way to salvation. Abide in him. Confess him and him alone. Come to Christ today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity to look at your word. I thank you for the teaching that has been provided by Christ. Lord, I pray that we would apply such a teaching, that we would truly evaluate the influences we allow in our lives and seek to glorify you, that we would abide, be rooted in, dwell upon you in everything. Lord, I pray that we be connected to a local body where we can hold one another accountable and be focused on glorifying you. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone in here not abiding in you, but distracted in some other influence, that you would call them out of that today. They would realize that faith in Christ alone is all there is. 
It is the great paradigm shift for everything in life. Lord, may you be calling sinners home. May we confess gleefully, knowing that you are a gracious God who forgives us of our sins, not on our own merit, but because of what Christ has done for us. Lord, I pray that everyone in here today has given their life to you and they they would publicly confess Jesus as Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Durban Memorial Baptist Church Podcast. If you want to find out more about our church, you can check out www.durbanchurch.org. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or you can give us a call or text to 859-813-0369. Also, you can shoot us an email at brad at durbanchurch.org. Have a wonderful day and God bless.